This week on Cine Chill. Ali is a complex character and it was really a complex decision and it's a complex story to tell. If you think of giving a present to your girlfriend, he, Holly, will give 100 presents to his girlfriend instead of one. Cops grow up in the same streets as, uh, as the, the gang members. And like, so the, the boundaries between good and bad, between black and white, they, they, they disappear there. I, I wanted people to laugh with Holly and not at him. But like, I really, really wanted to stay away from, uh, yeah, from being a militant. Uh, I just wanted to show and, and so be as invisible as possible or as journalistic as possible in this film. Welcome to this week's episode of Cine Chill. Today I'm joined by documentary filmmaker Jean-Combe Dallalar. Jean-Combe's film Harley was selected for the Tribeca Film Festival and Harley is a follow-up to the harrowing but excellent Stray Bullet. Today we talk about how Harley came about and how Jean-Carl manages to film in volatile and often dangerous situations. If you could just tell me, you know, briefly what Harley is about. Harley is, a, is the story of a lawyer, a criminal defense attorney from Patterson, New Jersey. Patterson is really next a city next to New York City in uh, in New Jersey. It's a story of this guy who has the worst cases in in town, so worst murder cases and. And uh, he stands out because he's always wearing a bow tie and he's, he has long hair and has a, he has fancy cars. And, uh, and also he lives with his mom. And he's a, he's a middle-aged guy who falls in love with a, a woman he met online who is way younger than him and who already has a boyfriend. And in order to try to prove her that he's the man for her, he decides to embark on a, on a chaotic quest to make a fight. Uh, MMA fight in Brazil. Uh, why Brazil? Because um, it's an illegal fight, and so he decided to to go to Brazil to do it. He couldn't have done it in the U.S. And so the film follows him as he's trying to get in shape for that fight against a younger opponent fighter, and uh, and while you know trying cases in Patterson, and so and trying to win the woman's heart. But when you came across Harley, when you were making Stray, what part of it did you think, this is my next project? I came across him, I was filming Stribblet from the witness box in the court. Like I would see him every month because, you know, there were hearings in the case and he was representing one of the young black men arrested for the, the, the murder of Genesis Rincon, like a 12-year-old kid uh, who was walking home, you know, on a perfectly beautiful summer night in, in Patterson, which is next to New York City. And Patterson is a really um, poor town, black and Latino. And so I, I used to see him. And so my, uh, initially my, my, um, my project was focusing on the family of Genesis because I wanted to show that how in America, if you lose a kid and you're not part of the you know higher ranks of the society losing a kid might just be the beginning of your downfall with you know you and I you know like I'm white and like uh, I, I come from Switzerland originally you know like uh, death uh, and, and death of a child is probably the most horrible thing you can think of but because you know uh, but for a lot of families you know death of a child is just 
the beginning and I said just like I, I shouldn't say just but like you know it leads to many other things like uh, and you could see it with the family of Genesis they were losing uh, the father was losing his job he was losing his house uh, and he was losing his own life you have to try to grieve and at the same time trying to keep your life afloat in some in some way so so I was the, the initial project was to do this and then I met Holly <laughs> and um and he was standing out, you know, like in, in, you know, it's a small, it's a small town. Patterson is like hundred thousand people, hundred thousand fifty people, uh, people, and so there's a small town feel in a way. Um, uh, and so when you go to court, it's like smaller courtrooms as than New York, and you see all these lawyers with like like these cheap ties and everything, and like uh, bad suits and cheap cheap ties in a way, like. Uh, they, and um, it's not like uh, the really like like uh, chic lawyers you can see in in New York City, you know, sure. it's, uh, corporate lawyers. This is like uh, something else. And then you saw Harley, and Harley's bow tie, long hair. It, it, I was fascinated by that guy. But and then um, he invited me to his place uh, for the interview, for the initial interview, and. Uh, um, that was an incredible interview uh, because uh, the guy was just sitting next to th three young kids. He was literally a meter away from me, like when we were filming, because he was like the way the, the jury box is next to where the, the defendants mm -hmm. are standing during these hearings. And so I stepped into the world of a guy whose family had survived the Holocaust. He was born in Switzerland, like me. Uh, uh, his mom, like the first time she saw me, tried to speak in German to me when I'm from the French part of Switzerland. But like, it, it, there was something really bizarre and beautiful. And then the, he, he, tried, he started showing me his uh, gun collections. He has like, I don't know, dozens of guns and ammunition. And I come from a society, I come from a country where, you know, like... Uh, uh, yeah, all men go to, to do the army and are supposed to hold the gun once in their in the lifetime, but like, um, that's it. Yeah. And so we were polar opposites. And, um, and you, while I was doing Stribblet, I had to resist the, you know, the temptation to, to try to, to switch kind of the project towards mm -hmm. him, you know, like, and, and kind of focus on him because he, he was a strong presence and thank goodness I had uh, the father of Genesis uh, who was an incredibly interesting guy and and you know I didn't take side pick sides because everybody we all gray in a way you know mm -hmm. like uh, we're not like white, black and white uh, we we gray and so in Patterson it's the it's the, the the capital of gray you know like when I was saying like cops grow up in the same streets as, uh, as the, the gang members. Mm -hmm. And like, so the, the boundaries between good and bad, between black and white, they, they, they disappear there. And I'm a journalist. And so I did not want to do one fi another film on, on you, know, um, uh, uh, you know, injustice, black people. You know, I just wanted to show how a, a city, how a society would deal with a stray bullet. So that's why that's a long answer, like to say, like how, like I was resisting the temptation to focus on Harley while doing Stribblet, but um, at the end of Stribblet, um, I had plenty of other material that was I knew he was a good character, but I was exhausted by this project. It was really hard to keep the balance and like to to make it work. So I basically 
decided like to move on. And uh, one day he, he, I got a call from Holly and he said, Jean, I've got a story for you. And um, I said, oh yeah, I thought another case. And so we decided to meet up. Then he came with a story that he had been meeting, making a documentary on himself with his friend Eddie, who, who is a high school teacher and bodybuilder with, with like Holly. Mm -hmm. And the, the project was called the Redemption. It's hard to say, but like, so it was called the Redemption. It was basically him trying to gain shape for something. And so he said, can you help me out finish that film? And um, if you've seen what I, I mean, look at my resume, I'm usually found in places where there are gangs and, and poverty and justice, uh, mostly in South America, cent Central America mostly, and, and inner cities. And so I, um, it, I thought it was not for me, so I said no. And um, uh, he kept call, coming back and until he, he, he told me the entire story and him falling in love with this woman who was also from Switzerland, he had met online, and how he was gonna do a fight for her. And uh, I said, so it was like really surprising. He said like, I think this is, you should do that. And um, thinking hard, long and hard about this, I thought yes, and because it reminded me of uh, Don Quixote, it's one of my favorite books. And so there was some Rocky in there, yeah. but like it was mostly Don Quixote. And, but knowing Holly, uh, you know, Don Quixote is seen as this crazy guy, lunatic, like Holly is not crazy. Holly is, is, is a very interesting man. And, um, but his quest was chaotic because it was a quest for a woman who lived far away who would not want to do any, have to do anything with this fight or, or you know and whom frankly I didn't think uh, might love him back and so that's how it started and so he was the guy kind of asking me to do it and so then I decided okay but like then I you know I'm gonna do it but you have to trust me uh, I'm gonna do, we, we're gonna do it the way we need to do it for the story to come across well and um, and so um, I took uh, with me like the, the my editor like uh, my soul mate she's she's an incredible editor uh, and so that's how we did it Holly is a complex character and uh, it was really uh, a complex decision, and and it's a complex story to tell. And uh, in this film, you're either gonna love Holly or you're gonna hate him, <laughs> and you're gonna love this film or you're gonna hate it. There's no middle ground with Holly and with this film, I think. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a remarkable piece of work. I mean, he's just he's such an interesting character. But there was so many different aspects to this guy where, you know, he lives with his mother. The part about the woman that he's never met, but he wrote is the most important letter of his life to. The way he was wrapping the presents. I, I mean, alarm bells were ringing at some points for me. It's like, this is an interesting guy. If someone had told you this is a mockumentary and the character is like an actor, you wouldn't be surprised because... You know, it starts off and he's fairly like normal. Like, you know, he's reminds me a little bit of um, of Saul Goodman from Bacon Bad to start with, but like Saul Goodman light, I'd say. And then as this goes on, I think there's a sequence where he says, 
are you ready? And I love that you left that bit in. And then he starts talking about all the awards that he's got on his wall. But I love that he left that clipping when he says, are you ready? Because it just shows that he's a performer. He's a natural performer. You know, everything that he does is like a performance. You could imagine it being turned into like a feature film because the story is so... It's so out there, you know. You were mentioning why we like we left. Uh, Are you ready? Uh, it, it was the first time uh, uh, I was dealing in a documentary uh, f- film that, that I was making with somebody who wanted the camera there. Usually, <laughs> like all the people I'm, I'm following, uh, they have everything to lose from exposure in a way because it's they're talking about injustice, about these questions of murder. This, uh, like gang violence and with Harley it was the opposite so I just wanted and we, we had the, quite a few of these moments in the film where we, we just show you like okay look he's aware of what's going on and but like and I think this awareness of the camera in this case it's even more imp- interesting because when you see what's, where the film is going and you, you know that the, he's aware of the camera but like, we're still going there it's, it's, it's amazing and it's, it, to me it makes it even more powerful and uh, that he, what he's ready to do for a woman's heart when, when you do a documentary you have a responsibility in a way to, to tell the story I think how you would like the person sharing the story with you to, to tell you the story in a way you know like you cannot just um, take a story and like like use it for your own personal um, agenda and so with Holly like you know like people were say like I, I couldn't imagine people saying oh but he's doing you know the charity is doing this for the camera no he's been doing this for 25 years with his own money and so we interviewed one of these adults with disabilities and He's in the film, actually. His name is Scott, and he's a big Johnny Cash fan. And so um, a few times per year, Harley takes Scott and uh, his other friend, Joey, who is also disabled. And so he takes them bowling, and then he takes them to Hooters. You know, Hooters is the bars <laughs> where like the, the girls yeah. are, you know, like sexy yeah. girls and and so Scott uh, and they go eat and Scott makes like mixtapes of Johnny Cash and he picks up one of the, the, the waitresses and he give it to her and so Holly has been doing this for years without any camera mm-hmm. and we interviewed Scott I interviewed him um, one day and we and so the I said uh, so how Scott well, tell me about Holly and he responded, oh, I like Holly. And then he said, I like you too. You, so you see, you, you mm-hmm. see? It's, uh, and then he said, I said like, why do you like Holly? And he said that he came to visit me in the hospital when I was sick. But when he was sick was not yesterday or the month before, it was 10 years ago. And so, and there were, so you see, like he, he did things for, for his friends, for his people, they considered him his friends, like that. You uh, and I probably wouldn't do, mm-hmm. uh, and so um, it's it's. I was really amazed by this, and so I felt the responsibility. I knew um, it was the it was chaotic in a way. His quest was could it, it could you know if you think of giving a present to your girlfriend, he Holly will give hundred <laughs> presents to his girlfriend instead of yeah. one, and so it's always it's too much, but. At the same time, you have a responsibility of you have to care for him, 
And that was the, the, big the big thing we had to do in the beginning, establish that, make sure that you care. And, and um, because then you can come and with show what he is really about, what's, you know, where this is going. But you have to care for this guy. And, um, and there is a lot of people who care for him. And so um, uh, we, could have, we could have made a totally different film. Yeah. I could have made a totally different film and used that for, you know, just making fun, you know. But that was, I mean, there was, there's nothing to make fun of, I think. It's, it, it's a, it's, it's a very entertaining uh, film, I think, uh, in Quest, but I, I wanted people to laugh with Harley and not at him. And that's, that's a big difference. That's a big difference. And uh, it was not easy. It took us uh, several months of editing <laughs> to get to that point. Going back to uh, Stray, what was it like when you were actually in the courtroom filming these, um, these sequences? I mean... Uh, was that was that hard to get permission for? Uh, how does it work in 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 the uh, in the states? Because I would have thought they wouldn't have allowed cameras for anything like that. No, it depends on on the states. Uh, in New Jersey, uh, you can bring a camera if you have a press pass and a letter from a broadcaster, which I, I had. And um, no, it was it was fairly easy actually, and uh, it was but it was really interesting to the contact. Like we, I mean, it's basically, I could basically touch the defendant if I wanted to, and and the if you know because we were there, we were filming every month because it's you know like before a case goes to trial uh, in a case like this, even the murder case. They status conferences every month. So the guys, they brought back for like just a few minutes of, you know, and they, the lawyers and prosecutors, they talk about like what they need, discovery, material, evidence. And so it's fairly uneventful. But what is interesting is um, in the case of Stray Bullet, they, because there were three young defendants, the, the prosecutor, they were, they were trying hard to have one of the three guys testify. So that's why it was taking so much time. And, um, and you could see um, the, the guys changing every month. You know, even if I'd, I couldn't talk to them, I, I, didn't, I almost didn't need to because you could see them changing and how, you know, like, like the, the main guy, uh, the hardest um, client, like you could see the life um, coming out of, uh, like dis disappearing, slowly disappearing from his eyes, you know, like he, there was being replaced by emptiness and he was there, yes, and he knew he was gonna be there for a while. And um, at the same time he was changing, he became, you know, like heavier and like, he started looking like a, a kid and, you know, by the time he, was, he went to, to, to trial, he was like a heavier adult and, so it was really fascinating to to see, and, and it was great to be able to to to, to document this and uh, to f in the end all these like hearings played kind of a you know they they were pacing the film in a way even if nothing much was happening, um, it, it's it gave you a sense of time passing and how you know when you're African American, poor and young. Um, you can spend many years in jail. Like the presumption of innocence doesn't really 
exist. Uh, I mean, technically, yes. I mean, if they had five million or two million dollars to pay the bail, they could be on waiting uh, for the trial on the street. But who has that kind of money? <laughs> and so basically, they spent two and a half years in jail before going to trial. And, uh, and and you know they were not they had not been convicted and so that's what we were showing with this repetition of these scenes in court, like you know and um, but like I really really wanted to stay away from uh, yeah from being a militant uh, I just wanted to show and and so be as invisible as possible or as journalistic as possible in this film. What was it like when you heard the verdict? I'm used to narrative films when you have like a beginning, middle and end. But when you're making something like this, where literally you don't know where this is heading, how does that affect the plan with what you're doing? Do you just like, do you have, okay, if they get found guilty, this is the way I'm going to go. Or if they're found not guilty, then this is, you know, where I'm going to go. Like, how does that form the, the story as it's going, if, if that makes sense? It, yeah, in, in our case... It didn't change much because the the verdict was, you know, like because of what we had shown throughout the two and a half years. So the verdict was the end point, yes, but it was um, it, the, the story was more story of compassion and understanding like you know like to me way more interesting than the verdict was the moment where the father of the victim of Genesis sits next to the mother of one of the, the defendants and they're both awaiting the verdicts and they talk and to me that was the end of my film uh, we kept the verdict of course like because you know the, as an audience you wait to know what's going to happen but it didn't really influence uh, much and the verdict in I'm not going to say what it was but it kind of fit uh, the, the, the entire story in a way um, and so um, we had, I had already decided that uh, that was going to be the end, like uh, whether they were going to be found guilty or innocent or, or any other options uh, available uh, to the jurors. Um, uh, I was going to end there. Kind of by the time we were got to the verdict was kind of already, uh, we had already started editing. And it was already, the, the narrative arc was already uh, kind of set. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were ready to, to be able to, to adapt uh, a little bit. But uh, yeah, they, we, we had enough material by the time we reached the verdict to, to make a film uh, that, w that was really more about, you know, how the, how, I mean, how all this society could deal with this stray bullet and starting with the two fa the families of on both sides and with the cops with the the gang members and so by but you know we had all this material when we reached the verdict so i hope it makes sense was it hard to get the the community of patterson involved with the documentary with the family of genesis and then the people who were you know you interviewed so this is an interesting question actually so when I started, like I mentioned that we all gray and uh, in Genesis families, family, Genesis family is no exception. The father of Genesis uh, had been in the gang, you know, when he was young and he went to prison and uh, he, then he went to college, he graduated and his daughter was basically killed when uh, he had just graduated. So 
they were both sides of the story already there. And so he had connections to the streets. And so the, he had some respect also in the streets of Patterson. And he was known. And um, so and that case was already also emblematic because once you get to know this young man, you know, they're there, like, for many reasons, like, um, the, most of the time they start with a dysfunctional family, no father figure, and a lot of poverty, mm -hmm. and no, you know, good schooling for them. But, like, so, so if we go beyond that, there's, there's, in these streets of, you know, not only Patterson, but, like, in the streets, there's a strong, strong code, And there's, there's a code that says, no woman, no, ch no children. And so, which means you don't touch the woman, you don't touch the children. And with Genesis, uh, you know, the guys uh, that were charged with the murder had done, uh, you know, were seen as having done something, you know, that was immoral in a way, like from, from the street's perspective. Mm -hmm. So there was a willingness um, to, to talk about this, but... Like what we was trying to do is like to get the also gang members. Like I, I wanted to have the perspective of everybody, so the, to get you know gang members, um, you know, to, to talk about their life and how to talk about the conditions, everything that led to that stray bullet, that shot, that that um, that shooting. Um, It, it took me a year and a half um, to really being in the streets and you know see a lot of things mm. <laughs> in these streets. And, and to be able to reach the point where, okay, they're going to open up. And then the, the responsibility I was mentioning before, um, you know, was, was big because you don't want, you know, them, because when they open up, they really open up. And so you have to make sure that they, they don't harm themselves either by being part of a film and sharing the story. So all this was, you know, once we had... Uh, access to these streets, then we were good. But I should add something. Uh, we had access to certain streets, not every everything. So basically, there was this was a corner that's in the film where you know we could do whatever you know we could film, we could talk to the guys. There's a next corner, a corner over where another kid was uh, shot while we were uh, and killed while we were shooting the film, uh, where we couldn't film. Uh, I mean, I went there and like uh, the reception was totally different because they were fighting with the other corner. So, uh, and in Patterson, there's a river uh, between like uh, cutting, you know, the city in half. Mm. And there's uh, on the one side of the river, it's down the hill. And on the other side, it's up the hill. And so these guys, they're fighting each other already. And then in up the hill, you have like corners fighting other corners. So... Once, you know, we always had to be careful where, you know, like, you know, where we could drop the names of the people who were okay, okay with the film. And, but I should say, like, the only problem I ever had shooting that film was with a, one a council member, uh, like a guy, like, uh, wanted to exert some of his, uh, some of his uh, local power. And he saw us once with a camera and... The funny thing was, um, uh, I was with one guy who, who had had trouble uh, um, with the law, and um, he was carrying my tripod and everything. So he was kind of—he's a big guy, big black guy—and he's in the film actually. Um, and 
And so the guy saw us, him, and, and there had been another shooting, and I was filming, you know, people, like, gathering, crying, and, like, and there was a lot of um, tension. And the guy, like, um, uh, started um, asking me what I was doing, and I had my press pass, and I said, I'm doing this project. And he, he called the cops on us. Mm. And um, the cops came and they say, you know, you, you're not supposed to make a film here. I said, why not? I have a press pass. And say, yeah, there's an ordinance, you know, obscure city ordinance that prevents you from doing a film without a permit or something. Anyway, uh, and it was a news story that I was covering. And, um, but that little incident gave me a lot of clout then in the streets because uh, the guy who was carrying my tripods could see that I was definitely not with the police. Right. And, uh, you know, I was getting in trouble too. So, um, um, and at the end of the film, and um, that's something you can't know, but like um, we did a screening in a cinema in Patterson, an old cinema that Holly had paid for, like a rented. And so we invited everybody was in the film. So we had police officers, we had gang members, we had family and friends of the defendants, we had the family of Genesis, and we had Harley and his friends. And we have, like at the end, everybody came out and was okay, like, like loved the film. And so we, we even had uh, some pictures of, um, uh, uh, Holly and the father of Genesis hugging and now to that day they're friends and uh, the father of Genesis gave one of the pla plaque of Genesis about death to Holly and Holly has it in, now in his office wow. so it shows you how the connection and the, the film could connect all these groups and it's, it's, it was an amazing story and um, to me, it showed that the film was a success. I just really enjoyed it. I want to recommend it to well, everyone who's listening. Um, what got you into making documentaries? Um, so I'm a, I mentioned I'm a, I'm a reporter. I, I work for print uh, outlets. Usually, I uh, you know I work for the Tribune de Genève, which is the equivalent probably of the Guardian of the Independent uh, in the UK. So um, and I'm. Uh, I, I, I came to the U.S. in 2002 working for them. And so then uh, um, I did a, f a story in, the f in 2006 with a photographer. He knew the story. Like, uh, it was about a rodeo for inmates in, in Louisiana. So basically there's a huge uh, penitentiary near the Mississippi, and it's on the slave plantations. And so it's like, and inside they have a stadium, and every October, there's thousands of people who come and see a rodeo where the main protagonists are the inmates. And the, the inmates, of course, they can't train or anything. So it's very brutal. And they, they have to wear the striped um, black and white uh, shirts. And, and, um, and so I did this story. And then uh, a filmmaker from Switzerland saw that story and asked me if I wanted to, to join him on, on, on the dock. And so we did that film together. It's called Razor Wire Rodeo. And it came on, out on Hulu, and uh, and so that was my first film. And then uh, I kept doing press. And 2010, the the um, the earthquake in Haiti changed everything mm. for me um, because uh, I was there and uh, covering. And that was the most horrific story I've covered in my career. And I've covered wars and crises and horror, horror mm. like since I was a journalist. And there was something 
uh, I, I was, I came home, I was really hurt and really, um, yeah, really hurt and kind of frustrated in a way that I think I couldn't convey the scope of the, the destruction of the horror in my stories. I mean, like, you know, when you watch somebody um, uh, pay, uh, like somebody who lost everything, is in the, he's, he's standing in front of the rubble of his house, mm. and he pays a few guys to to try to dig out his brother, whose you can, whose feet you can see under rubble. That's all you can mm. see, and then you know they they spent hours digging him out, and then they managed to do this, and then they take the his wallet out of his pocket so of the 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 corpse you know his pocket and there was some money in there and the guy who had also lost everything the brother who had lost everything said no no i don't want to touch that money put it back it was my brother and then you know they put him in a in a white sheet and they put him in the middle of the streets and i asked the guy why um what are you doing i said like oh you know i'm waiting for the people to to pick him up and and to put him, you know, where they're going to dump the bodies. I said, but why? Because I, he said, I don't have any money. And you can tell this story. You can write about this story. But then you can you cannot show. You, I, I felt like I couldn't show what was going on. I couldn't, you know, I mean, the smell. And there's no way even in a film I can I can convey that. But like there was this. This what I had witnessed for hours um, to me, I, I needed to go beyond press. And then, uh, uh, then I did a, a story for radio, a radio documentary uh, in Nicaragua in, in a landfill. And I met this, um, this incredible young woman and who was a prostitute and, um, and she was just surviving in this landfill. And so that was, she, she started it all for me. Mm. And uh, I made a film on her. Uh, the film was too long. <laughs> it was not perfect at all. Uh, but, uh, but I did it all myself with a, a with an editor, and and that started it all for me. And and since then, I've been making films because I feel it's my it's a way of doing journalism uh, in a different way. But I have more I have more space. I have more latitude, and and I think I have more tools to convey the story. And do you, when you're making these documentaries, what's your crew like? Do you? Do you have a large crew when you're doing these, or is it literally no. you with the camera? It's no. It's usually two people, yeah. me and uh, somebody. Uh, sometimes it's just even me. Sometimes, but like uh, f- most of the time, it's two, two of us. Uh, in the best case scenario, there's a third person, uh, but hardly ever so we have somebody for sound. Like the very first documentary that was for Swiss TV, yes, we had a sound guy, but like most of the time, it's just us. Mm. And for the kind of film I do, it's better, uh, I think, um, uh, because, um, you know, like, um, the, I, I feel like it's better, like, uh, to come in and out uh, and not be, you know, like, once you, you're too obvious, I think the dynamic change mm. changes and, and also... Just the use of a boom, for instance, that you put above somebody's head for an interview, a sit-down interview, changes the whole thing. Like when you just put a a lav mic uh, on him uh, or on her, and then you go about, and it's way better, I feel. There's more emotion, there's more people forget the mic, they forget. And so um, I try to keep it as small as possible. 
Thanks for listening so far. I'd really appreciate it if you can share this episode and subscribe. On each episode, filmmakers talk about their process and their journey. On the next episode, we're going to be starting a mini-series of podcasts that focus on turning your filmmaking into a career. We start with Dale Campbell, who leads his agency, Still Moving. We chat about how he got started, growing his team, as well as his fascination and dedication to cinematic lighting. We were going to, when we were looking at getting a production manager and actually just get another more fully featured team member who could film stuff and edit stuff. But I'm so glad that we didn't because it just frees your brain and and that's more valuable in many ways. So make sure you come back for that one. But for now, let's get back to this week's guest. You're listening to Cine Chill. What would you say to anyone who wants to get into making documentaries and how would you suggest they find a story that they, you know, they want to tell? Like how do stories come to you? Uh, that's a, a, you know, usually like the way I would describe it is, um, uh, if you're lucky enough to be somebody else's eyes and see something, um, that, you know, no one, like, like no regular people could see, then you have a good story. And a, a good example is, uh, La Prenda. It's one of a film I made in, in before Stribble. It, it's about kidnappings of young women in, uh, Guatemala. And... I found myself in this place called Quetzaltenango, which is uh, the second biggest town in, in Guatemala. Um, but, and then I found this story, like the, the, the horror, in this, that case, it was the, the horror was so huge. And I felt like, okay, if it was in the US, if it was not in Quetzaltenango, like uh, five hours away from the closest airport, and and you know, and if the Guatemala mattered in the in in a news cycle, this story would be big. Yeah, putting a woman, breaking her in half, putting her in a in a in a barrel, and then pouring cement on her, like to to dump her in a in a landfill after you try to kidnap her kids, that would be a big story. And so, that's an obvious. <laughs> way of to, you know knowing that you have a good story, like, you know because uh, I felt I was just lucky, um, and lucky is not a good word, but like I was just blessed. Uh, I don't know if it's a better word either, but like I, I, I was, you know, I was there. I was just there at the at the moment, and you know, I felt like my eyes mattered in that case. And if you do, you feel this, and it can be a way more simple uh, situation, uh, then you have a good story. And um, these the obvious trends, you know, like right now, next next year, you're gonna have plenty of films about COVID and about racial inequalities. Mm-hmm. But then there's space and room for others, you know, and uh, uh, look for things that you know might surprise you, and you feel like you can tell. To somebody else and that person is going oh that's a cool story or that's you know that you did something you know i didn't know about this or and then you know you have a you you have something and then um be persistent be resourceful uh, be ready to hear uh, a lot of no's um to be rejected many times uh and uh, yeah and keep going when you're you know, in these places that could be seen as risky, whether it's a, a protest or a, you know, a, an area where the gangs are, do you feel safer when you've got a camera? Because do you feel disconnected when you've got a camera? In a way, you know, like, uh, 
Yes. Uh, so basically, when you go in there and you fear is not doesn't matter anymore. You know, they, they, there's something else. You're in there and you feel there's some sense of nothing can happen to you. It, it's a full sense of, of um, security. I know, but um, usually, um, uh, if you you know, if the camera is obvious, if you don't try to to be sneaky, if you you know, you prepare what you're trying to do. Mm. You know, like if you look for the keys, you have to look for the keys to that story. And the keys, you have to remember that you're a foreigner. You're, you know, even if after two, three and a half years, and now I've been shooting, no more, I've been shooting since 2014 in Patterson. And I know these streets, I know how these guys work. Even now I remember that I'm still a foreigner. I'm not part of them because they don't see me part of them. They accept me, but they don't see me part mm. of them. And so you have to always remember this. And, uh, and um, but the camera, you know, the, I don't think the camera attracts more danger to you because if people are aware of it, then it doesn't. You know, it's if you try suddenly to be there and you try to record and, and you know, like you know, while you're seeing something illegal happening or say, you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to show, you know, these guns or these drugs. Mm -hmm. And that's where the, 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 the risk start, the danger starts. And I always remember, you know, like, um, uh, Christian Poveda, you know, the French guy who did this film on the Maras uh, in Sal El Salvador. And at the end of his film, he, he, was, uh, he was killed. And, um, and I always remember him when, you know, I do these things um, because I always remember, like, you know, don't think, you know, nothing can happen to you. You, you just have to know the rules and... and uh, um, um, be as harmless as possible and um, that's why you know I don't think uh, having a bodyguard with you or somebody will help you in any way or being armed you know it's uh, the less uh, the threat you look like the better you, better off you are what influences do you have them with documentaries but other um, filmmakers the first documentary that really got me started it's called La Sierra and it's, it was an incredible um, documentary about uh, gangs and par paramilitaries in, in Colombia. In, in, uh, and so I, I was amazed. And to me, and it's kind of what I do. In, it's, uh, it's a very, it's like in your face in a way. In, um, and really there's no, I'm not trying, most of the time I'm not trying to make art with the reality, I'm trying just to reflect it. Yeah. And so, um, so that was, and uh, Rich Hill, it, it was a little a story of three young boys in the Midwest uh, growing up and, and in kind of a really low income white families. And that's really what I, I, I mean, some of my favorite documentaries, but now I've also, I'm, I'm growing up in a way as a filmmaker, and uh, you know, I, I'm now that I'm doing in this field more. Uh, I'm amazed by s some abilities of my peers, and especially um, the, the film *Tempestad*. I don't know if you you saw that film. It's a documentary about uh, kidnappings in uh, Mexico. Uh, um, uh, it's 
it, it, it was an incredible, incredible film by Tatiana Hueso. And it, this film came out at the same time as my film La Prenda. And my film La Prenda was all about showing the violence of these kidnappings in Guatemala. And her was just about like trying to evoke it. And, and I was stunned by this film because I thought she, she achieved probably more than I did <laughs> with her, per, like her approach. And so right now I'm, I'm kind of uh, adding some of this into to my, uh, to my, uh, my work, I think. I'm, uh, and uh, right now I'm, I'm working on a film on hooligans uh, in Argentina. Who, who killed one of their own by throwing him away from a, I mean, throwing him out, um, from a stadium, a, a stand, you know? And so uh, it was, yeah, it's somebody, you know, it, there was a fight in the top of the stand and um, uh, between two guys and, and um, one of the two guys screamed that his opponent was a supporter of the, the other team. And it didn't matter that the, the guy had the same shirt as, like 30,000 people around him and the crowd turned on mm -hmm. him and so they, they beat him up and then as he was trying to escape at the bottom of the stand so the people at the bottom did not even know what started the fight up, uh, at the, the top of the stand he was thrown you know th wow. uh, pushed and he died and so this uh, you know, the images are so horrible like here I'm trying to be a bit more, not poetic, but like a little bit more evocative with what I'm trying to, to achieve now because yeah. uh, I feel like um, I'm, it, it's pretty repulsive. And so, so if uh, yeah, the influence of Tatiana Hueso in that case in her film Tempestad is probably big on me right now. When does Harley come out and where can people see it? <laughs> That's the most difficult question. Uh, so Harley was supposed to to premiere at Tribeca, and it uh, you know Tribeca was postponed, mm. and I don't know if it's gonna happen. Um, so we decided now to to give up on the festivals uh, for the and go straight to the the platforms. So we see it, it, we should know. I, I should be able to update you soon. Um, uh, hopefully this year it's going to come out. But I'm sorry, I, I have nothing. We just decided now, like, not to 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 forget about festivals and and to go straight to broadcasters now. I'll yes. link a trailer in the in the bio that we'll put on your page. So if you're listening to this, make sure you go to the website cinechill.com uh, and you'll be able to find out all the details and see the trailers for these two films, um, which are. I highly recommend for when eventually Harley's available to watch, you need to watch it. It's brilliant. And Stray Bullet is a really moving, well-made documentary. Even though the subject matter is horrible and it's horrendous, it's a very humanistic film, I, I find. There's a lot of humanity in the film and there's a lot of sorrow in the film and uh, a lot of honesty in the film. What, what's the reception been like on it? How, how's it being received by you know the, the audience? I know you had the... the um, the screening in Patterson, which I imagine must have been a bit tense for you, be thinking, oh, what's this going to be like? But what's the actual, you know, um, on the broader scale being like, what's the reception being like? Uh, it's been amazing. Uh, I, you know, Netflix doesn't tell us uh, 
how many views we had, but I, I'm, I know we had plenty, 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 because I, I keep getting, um, you know, like messages uh, from people who watched it. And I think the film went from one inner city in the US to the next. And um, in Patterson, I think everybody saw that, uh, saw that film, but like way beyond that. And um, uh, uh, a good sign is that the film was only uh, supposed to be for 18 months on, on Netflix and it's been prolonged. So uh, uh, I, I think uh, it's, it tells you that uh, they're happy with it. Uh, and, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really been amazing. And uh, everybody, I, I haven't heard any bad comment on, on Stribulet. Uh, with Holly, I'll have bad reviews also i know and i've had a few like so already like people who hated the film uh, it's okay uh, i we knew going into this that some you know um, people would not um, would not care for him or would mm. see something else in this film because you can easily uh, see something else but um mostly like the the most of the reviews for Holly has been have been really amazing uh and stribble it too so I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today no just like uh, I was really really happy to to be on well the film's called Stray Bullet and Harley make sure you go and see them when you well when Harley comes out make sure you can go and see that Stray Bullet's available now I believe on Netflix Jean Combe, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Simon. And that's it for this episode. And as always, a big thank you to Jean Combe for taking the time to chat with us. You can find out more information about him and all of our guests by going over to our website, cinechill.com, where you can find the episode page for this podcast and where to connect with him and watch his films. If you did like this episode, go to iTunes, leave a review and subscribe. It takes seconds and it will really help the show. But until next time, thanks for listening.